Podcast Hour and this special podcast series highlighting the exciting events happening at St. Augustine's University and where we also take a brief look back on some of society's greatest contributors who also happen to be part of a rich St. Augs tradition. Today's podcast series highlights the excellent work, sacrifice, and care provided by the leader of a department which takes care of all the student athletes and probably a lot of the staff at St. Augustine's University. The Director of Sports Medicine and Head Athletic Trainer at St. Augustine's University, Mijan Knight. As you will soon hear, she is the glue of the athletic department, and she is a falcon soaring while keeping an entire department soaring. Make sure you get registered for the inaugural St. Augustine's Athletic Department Golf Tournament, which takes place on Friday, June 18th, as part of a big St. Augs reunion weekend. The fun begins on Thursday, June 17th, and ends with a beautiful soiree on June 19th. This is your chance to have fun and give to a university that is ready to soar. You can find more information at www staugfalcons.com or call Mr. David Bowser at 919-516-4250. Again, call 919-516-4250 and ask for Coach David Bowser. This is your chance to give. The inaugural St. Augustine's Athletic Department Golf Tournament is presented to us by title sponsor, Seven Springs Farm and Vineyard. Seven Springs Farm and Vineyard, based in Norlina, North Carolina, is a family-owned and operated business, and it is one of approximately 23 Black-owned farms and vineyards in the country. It's one of the few that provides live music and entertainment, such as blues and country bands, comedy shows, and karaoke. This is just the beginning of a great partnership between the St. Augustine's University Athletic Department and Seven Springs Farm and Vineyard. Speaking of St. Augustine's giving and contributions, did you know the judge appointed as chair of the Departmental Appeals Board on April 29, 2007, also previously served at the United States Department of Veterans Affairs as a chief veterans law judge of the Board of Veterans Appeals, served as counsel to the chairman and was also a staff attorney. I speak of none other than the notable St. Augustine's University alum, the Honorable Judge Constance B. Tobias. That's right, St. Aug Falcons doing great things, and with your help, they can soar to even greater heights. Thank everyone for listening, and I have to ask, are you giving to St. Augustine's University? If so, thank you. This is a special edition of the St. Augs podcast series on the Chris Williams Podcast Hour. podcast hour and today's special guest on the St. Augustine's University podcast series probably has one of the most important jobs because the health of the entire student athlete body is in her hands. She is the glue to the St. Augustine's University Athletics Department. From a hangnail to a torn ACL, she's got you. Please 
Help me welcome to the special St. Augustine's podcast series on the Chris Williams Podcast Hour, the director of sports medicine and the head athletic trainer, Mijan Knight. Mijan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Chris. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Not a problem at all. Hopefully I'll put a little smile on your face. So you did. We'll have you fun really did. <laughs> Look, that's the best <laughs> intro I've ever had in my life, I think, up until this point. So that was good. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, again, welcome to the St. Augustine Special Podcast Series. I'm really excited for listeners to hear about your story and find out how much you mean to the St. Augs program and why St. Augustine's University is special to you. So I know you're a great communicator. Otherwise, <laughs> how else would the student athletes and their parents and the coaches know about the great care that they're given by their head trainer? So as I tell all my guests, this podcast doesn't work unless you share your story. So you have to shamelessly plug yourself. Can you handle that? I think I can. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, Mijan, let's start here. You were born in Connecticut and raised in Greenville, North Carolina. So tell us yeah. more about your childhood and how you ended up moving from Connecticut to North Carolina. Um, so pretty much, um, yes, I was born in Hampton, Connecticut on February 20th, 19-something and something. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I was born there. Um, pretty much how we got there, my mother's side of my family, her her mother and father, my grandparents, they are actually from Greenville, North Carolina. And so when my mother was in high school, I think middle school, high school, they, around that time, like in the 50s, 60s, um, a lot of people were transitioning up, up north. Um, there were better job opportunities and things of that nature. So my grandparents, you know, took them up there, her and my four, her four brothers and sisters. So they stayed there, and then that's where they kind of put roots down again, and everyone started their families because they were going, you know, my aunts and uncles, my mom, they were going into adulthood. And so that's where all of my cousins, me, my sisters, were all born um, in Hamden, New Haven, um, Connecticut. And so um, I pretty much all the way up until around the age of 10, um, is when we found out that we were moving back to North Carolina. And so in 1993, I believe, 92, 93, my grandparents retired, and they said they were going to retire back to Greenville, North Carolina. So we remained up there um, going to school, you know, grade school, elementary school, you know, just going on about our, you know, great lives. And so in, I want to say, like 2000, um, my mother got a job opportunity um, down here, my grandfather had been sick, and she just kind of wanted to be a little bit closer to help my grandmother and to get help, you know, you know, with us. She would be able to give help to my grandparents while getting help with us at the same time. So it was a win-win situation um, in okay. that regard. And so around that time, um, we moved to Greenville, North Carolina. And I must say that that was not on my agenda. I had no intentions or want to <laughs> to move <laughs> to the country, basically. Um, and so I had been to Greenville many, many times. We would come down, me, my cousins, my sisters, we would come and visit all the time. It was great because our grandparents were here. Um, but it, it wasn't necessarily someplace that I wanted to stay permanently. <laughs> so, um, so when I got that news, I'm in, like, you know, the third or fourth grade, and so I'm devastated. Um, but nonetheless, we moved down here, um, and that pretty much – you know, started the, the, the process of my rearing, um, the, the most significant, I probably would say, of my rearing happened in Greenville, North Carolina, um, from about 2000 up until, I mean, you could really include, you know, 2021, to be perfectly honest, because I haven't not been in the area or somewhere near the area um, since about the 2000s. So, yeah, that's pretty much how we got down here. Okay. Okay. All right. So let me ask you this, and to touch more on the family. So what got you into sports medicine? Did, did you recognize early in life that you wanted to take care of others? Were there people that influenced you in your life that, you know, pushed you towards that career path? So, yeah, I would probably say all of that. Um, pretty much I knew that I wanted to be in healthcare. 
Um, my mother's a nurse, a registered nurse. She's been doing it my whole life, um, <laughs> pretty much. I mean, before before me and my older sister were born. So um, she's a registered nurse. I've always seen her in that regard, doing that job, helping people, um, you know, just that's all I know her to be. And so my dad is also retired EMT and paramedic and firefighter. Um, so he, in that same regard, helps people that uh, risked his life or was risking his life on a day-to-day basis um, before he retired to make sure um, that not only were people safe, like he would inspect buildings to make sure that they were up to code. Um, and then in the event of a fire, like he would literally, if need be, pull people out of houses or out of buildings, climb up on a ladder. Um, when I was about, I think when I was about five or six years old, he actually fell off of a ladder fighting a fire um, when we were still living in Connecticut. So both of my parents, um, I've always seen that from them. So I knew, you know, when they, I think when, you know, when you're in elementary school, you start exploring, um, you know, different careers and occupations, like what do you want to be when you grow up? But I didn't know if I wanted to be a nurse or if I, you know, I didn't know exactly what, but I knew that it was going to be um, something in healthcare. And so what, what drew me towards athletic training or sports medicine was that I um, <laughs> I played sports in college. Well, not in college. I did not. I played sports in high school and in middle school. So pretty much middle school, you know, sports, that's not really a big deal. But high school sports, I was that person that was, like, always getting on the floor, you know, pretty banged up after practice and after games. So one day I was – I think it was, like, the first practice of the year, my – probably my sophomore year, um, I was really, really sore. Like my hip flexor, I didn't know it was a hip flexor then, right? But mm-hmm. <laughs> my hip flexor was super, super sore, super, super painful from running suicides. And I know you shouldn't, they say you shouldn't call them suicides now with the age of, you know, mental health and things of that nature. But back then, they called them suicides because I believe they really tried to kill us. <laughs> but um, so uh, we were running suicides. You know, the first practice of the year, you probably haven't done anything all summer, maybe a little bit here and there, but you probably didn't do this kind of conditioning. And so I was so sore from that first practice. And, like, the next day and the day after, it just seemed to get worse. And my track coach, I also ran track in high school, um, my track coach saw me limping, and he was like, you know, Mijan, like, what's going on with you? And I was like, my my hip is hurting so bad. So he took me in this room, me and my teammate, because she was sore too. He took us in this room, and there was this whirlpool. I didn't know it was a whirlpool, but he filled it up with, like, warm, maybe hot some warm water, like, bearable. And he was like, get in. It was right after practice. And so he took, I got in, and I was a little nervous. I'd never seen anything like this. And so I got in, and there, if you've ever seen a whirlpool, there's also a, um, <clears throat> excuse me, there's a jet stream that you can turn on. It's like, a, it's like a switch, and then you get, like, the turbines, and it starts to stir the water up and make it kind of moves the water. Instead of it being, you know, standstill water that you're just sitting in, it makes the water circulate. And so he took the turbine, almost like, you know, like in a, um, and what do you call it, a jacuzzi? And, you know, you can turn the little things on, and it makes the bubbles and all that type of stuff. So yes. he put me in there, turned that on, and he directed the turbine and the jet stream directly on my hip. And my, uh, my, my teammate was there, too, because she was trying to figure out what was going to happen, too, because I'm like, okay. So he had me sit there for, like, 10 minutes. And the water felt good, um, and the jet stream felt really good. And I didn't know that there was something else, you know, happening you know, um, biologically on the inside. So I did it. I got out. And as soon as I got out, I felt a world of a difference. And I looked at my track coach and I was like, what did you just do? Like you, you, you had me sit in water and put a jet stream on me and now I feel better. Like how is that? And so he told me, he said, take my class. I didn't know what class he was talking about. So come to find out he also, I didn't know, at the time, he was also an athletic trainer. Um, I didn't know what that was at the time, but I asked him what the class was. He taught sports medicine one and sports medicine two. And so the next year or the next time we signed up for classes, I signed up for his class. 
And when I got in that class and he started talking about the bones and the muscles and, um, you know, taping and the different skills that you learn, it really just came, it came to, it came to me kind of, uh, just kind of naturally, like you just, you know, I see something, I'm the type of person, if I see you do it, I can replicate it after one time. If you show me three times, I'll remember forever. And so um, taking that class, it's just like the, the concepts and the skills and all of the teachings, just, it just occurred to me I was able to apply it because I was already an athlete. So some of the things that he would say is like, oh, okay, so that's why in basketball practice when we do that, that's why my, my IT band is sore, or this is why my calves are sore after doing this exercise. And so that was great. And I was like, okay, great. Well, I, just, I was just taking that information and, you know, applying it to my sport. And so toward the end of the class, I um, found out he was teaching us one day. He was like, well, you know, this is a job that you also can do. And I was like, hold on, wait. You mean to tell me that this information that I'm able to grasp, not easily, but not, is not difficult as well, I'm able to do this for a career. And so we're, they brought, he brought in guest speakers, all of that type of stuff. And so I knew that that is what I wanted to do. However, I didn't know, excuse me, I didn't know um, how to go about doing it because I hadn't seen and getting ready for college and looking at the different programs that different universities offer. Um, mm-hmm. The only thing I ever saw in the medical field was either you're going to be a doctor or you're going to be a nurse. <laughs> and so right. in my head, I was like going into college, like I'm probably going to nursing school because I didn't want to be a doctor because I didn't want to be in school for so long. So that was like my tunnel vision of what I knew, what I felt was the only option for me. So after knowing that that was a career, I started looking into different schools that possibly offered that. And so at the time, by this time, we're all the way into my senior year, um, I was looking at East, East Carolina University, which is in Greenville, North Carolina. They had a program. Um, I had applied to there. I applied to North Carolina Central not knowing that they had a program, I knew about their nursing program. And then I applied to Fayetteville State University, again, for their nursing program. And so I think all of the pieces kind of just fell in place um, because I went on a visit to North Carolina Central only to find out that they actually had an athletic training education program. And so for me, that was just like, that just sealed the deal because not only did they have the program that I wanted, but it was also an HBCU, and it was also, you know, a space where I felt like all of the students that were on campus, you know, looked like me. We came from similar backgrounds, you know, the whole HBCU mm-hmm. experience, being on that campus, that all came together for me. So um, that's what yielded pretty much my decision in going to North Carolina Central University. But, yeah, I would probably say after going all the way around the mulberry bush with my story, is that um, what got me into sports medicine was probably me taking that sports medicine class when I was in high school. Okay. All right. So I love to hear the processes and journeys of accomplished people. So, and you're definitely accomplished. So tell me a little bit more about your journey from, from student, college student to director of sports medicine. Like you, you mentioned, you weren't sure, you know, what path to take. So when you get to right. Central, you know they have a program. Then who mm-hmm. guided you and, how, you know, how did, how did that lay out for you? Oh, man, like who guided me? Um, I can attribute that to so, so many people, even to, even to this day. Um, I guess I could start with as far as my program, um, I attribute the most. I love my program director and my clinical, my clinical education coordinator, um, I still stay in touch with them to, to this day, um, Dr. Carla Stoddard and Elizabeth Jewell. Um, they were the ones that pretty much taught us the book side of everything. So, and they were hard on us um, because, again, it's the HBCU, and, and, and Miss E, as we affectionately call her, um, she was so gung-ho on us um, getting it right. Her thing was, you know, you can make C's in your major, um, but you have to think about when when you're talking about moving into the professional, um, you're going to have – you can put two athletic trainers beside each other. One could be an A athletic trainer, somebody who graduated with all A's, and another one could be a C athletic trainer. 
The difference is, do you want to be the A athletic trainer or do you want to be the C athletic trainer? Because the C athletic trainer, although they're certified, they may be lacking in some areas um, that you may not know about. So you may not get the quality of care from the C athletic trainer that you may the A, the A athletic trainer. So she always kind of put it in perspective for us as it pertains to striving for the knowledge and the skill set and being proficient. Um, as far as, um, like, our specific sports, like, we had to do different internships. As far as notable people, I could go down a list of people from, from college, even up until now, um, of my, I call them my, they probably wouldn't call themselves my mentors, but I call them my mentors. Um, the staff at the time at North Carolina Central, we had Sean Thomas, we had uh Nate, I can't even remember his last name at this time, um, Bridget Council, Darkina Ward, um, Letitia Johnson. Well, she's Johnson now. She wasn't Johnson then. Um, but those people, they were very, very instrumental in that they would push you out there and put you in the position to have to use what you know. And I really, really appreciate that because for me as a person who um, is kind of shy coming into certain situations, they push me to be, you know, more proactive and just do what you know. If you don't know, you have people here that are that are able to um, to support you, but you won't know that you don't know it unless you try. So I appreciate those individuals. Um, and then professionally, uh, we have like David Mills, Lakita Harris. I, she was actually my boss at one point. Roland Lovelace was my boss at one point, but they were like my boss, my friend, and my mentor. Um, so there's so many people, Dr. Harry Stafford, Dr. Brian Zur, like those individuals have really helped shape me and helped me along the way as an athletic trainer. Now the transition from school, student athletic trainer, to <laughs> to the professional and from me going from back then to director of sports medicine, I think I took the long route. Um, so I graduated in 2012. Uh, from North Carolina Central University, I got straight into the workforce. Uh, looking back on it now, I wish I would have went ahead and just went to grad school um, at the time, but, you know, certain certain factors I'm thinking, because straight out, of straight out of college, you're able to be certified. And so once you're certified, you can work. So I got caught up in, oh, I'm good, I'm certified, let me go out and work. But what you don't know when you first graduate from college, is like once you start working and once you develop bills and rent and car payment and responsibility, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and responsibility, it's hard to step away from that to further your education. So if you're my always my advice to my students that I come across is if you're going to go to grad school, do all of that in succession. Um, if you can work and do it, great, but don't stop. Because if you stop, it's going to be harder to stop, start back up. And so it's not impossible, um, just be a little bit harder and a little bit more frustrating. So for me, I got straight into the workforce. I started out at a rehab clinic locally here in Raleigh, my first job, making a ton of money. Um, I just thought I was doing the best thing in the world. Come to find out, um, I didn't know that I was going to be let go from that job. Um, unbeknownst to me, for whatever reason, job, you know, they say job cuts, but you don't never, you never really know the reason. Sometimes you feel like it's personal, but, you know, you take it in stride. So thankfully, uh, one of my mentors, David Mills, he wasn't my mentor at the time. I was interviewing for another position, and I didn't get picked for that position, but the person liked me so much that she said, I'm not choosing you for this job, but I know somebody who also needs to hire an athletic trainer, so I'm going to send him your information. And so I was like, thank you, but I didn't know if I should really be thankful because I really wanted the job that I was interviewing for. But at at any rate, (laughs) it was still a blessing, I, I guess, in disguise. So from there, I actually got the job. It was actually with a local um uh. Christian Academy. It was actually Word of God Christian Academy um, here in Raleigh, North Carolina, um, the same school that John Wall graduated from. So that was it was notable in that regard. A lot of um, basketball and football players at the time went there to further and prepare them, you know, to get you know offers for scholarships and 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 to prepare for professional play and all that type of stuff. 
So I was there for a number of years, about I think about three years. And then I didn't do anything athletic training <laughs> for about a year and a half. And so I was, I, well, I did do contract work, but nothing full time. I was, I was going back to school, um, and I was pursuing my master's because, like I said, it's, it's hard, but you can do it, and it's going to be a little frustrating along the way. So I decided to go back and get my master's, made some sacrifices, did that, um, was still working towards some things. Even had some hiccups with my master's because of, you know, financial aid and all of that. Like I said, it's a big headache. So from mm-hmm. there, after as I was finishing up my master's, um, I got on one of my friends was uh, – she was basically the head athletic trainer at a local um, university, not St. Augustine, um, and she actually graduated the year after I did. She was the head over there, and somebody that I recommended to her for a part-time position, like, stopped coming around. Like, she just, you know, like, no call, no show. It was, like, oh, just wow. no show. Like, she just nothing. <laughs> so she called me, and she was like, you know, Mijan, like, why? Have you heard from her? Like I was like, no. Like I just saw her post on Facebook. I think though, you know, something like that. She was like, well, she just stopped coming. Like, and you know, at this particular university, they had like 15 sports, and now they were down from from two and uh, two two full times and a part time to just two, and that's hard for an athletic trainer with 15 sports. And so I felt so 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 bad. So I told her I was like, you know, and at the time I was trying to get back into into full-time athletic training, and I just felt led, because I am a spiritual, spiritual person, um, I just felt like, you know, um, something's telling me, you know, this is, you need to offer your services to her, number one, because it's your fault, because you recommended the person, <laughs> but number two, like, this could be an open door for you as well, and so I told her on the phone, I said, you know, if you need me to help you, I will, because I feel bad, number one, and number two, I'm able to help, and I know that you need help. And so she brought me on as a contract at the university. And then at the same time, while I was doing contract work, I got the first call um, from St. Augustine's University. And um, that was pretty much out of osmosis. They had my, they had my um, application on file. I didn't, remember, I didn't remember applying or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And so um, basically – they called me and said, let's talk. You know, I have your application. I, I've heard great things about you. I'm like, I don't know. Who did you talk to about me? Because I don't know anybody over there. <laughs> you know? So it's really, it was really a thing like, okay, this really must be God because I don't know how this situation is orchestrating itself. So I came on to St. Augustine's University. I don't like when you say St. Aug. Um, to St. Augustine's University, that was in 2017. And so came on as an assistant. And I was here for about two years, and the next, well, at year two, uh, I guess I did such a great job, Chris, that (laughs) my boss was bragging so much about me to her coworkers, like, from other schools, like, oh, my God, Mijan is so great. She's a godsend. Like, she's proactive. And I guess you can really talk people up too much because – their, her contacts at other universities started calling me and said, hey, do you, do you want to get more money? Do you want to, are you looking to move? Oh, wow. Are you looking for more opportunities? <laughs> and they told her, you know, they told her that they were going to call. So it wasn't anything underhanded. But it was just so mm-hmm. funny because it was like, man, maybe you shouldn't talk up on your, on your assistants and your staff so much because people will try to come and take them from you. <laughs> but, um so, yeah, so I got a couple of offers out there. Um, the main, well, from, well, at the time, from Fayetteville State and from Virginia State, and I actually entertained them. I had a conversation with my boss, and she was like, you know, it will be a good um, resume builder. You possibly can get more money. It will make, it will give you leverage, you know, business-wise. You know, she was like, she's always, she was always, you know, really, really gung-ho about me being great. And she was always pushing me to to think outside of the box and do things that I normally wouldn't do to further myself professionally. And I always appreciate her for that. Um, so I ended up accepting, excuse me, an, a position from uh, Virginia State University. And so I moved from North Carolina to Richmond, Virginia, and I spent two years there. Uh, two and a half years there. Um, and so basically that was a great experience. 
Um, I was able to cultivate myself in a leadership position. I was still an assistant, um, but my boss, my previous boss, um, Roland Lovelace, he was really, really good about giving me opportunities where I had to make decisions for myself as an athletic trainer. And that's something that's very, very important. If you can't make decisions unless somebody else is there with you, you're going to be in a world of trouble because there's going to be times when you're by yourself and you have to make those decisions. And so um, he was really good about that. Um, I was able to have solo sports, like I was able to just be with volleyball or just be with baseball or just be with softball. You know, with football, you don't even have two or three athletic trainers. So I was really able to have that autonomy to, you know, do what I thought best for my student-athletes. While he was still overseeing everything, would check in, um, but if there were no complaints, he wouldn't ask me anything about it, and I appreciate that. I mean, I think that it really um, put me in a position um, to do what I'm doing now. So I was at Virginia State. That's where I was. Then COVID hit. And so in the middle of COVID, um, the, the head athletic trainer, um, director of sports medicine that was here, um, before me, he got an offer to go somewhere else. And so um, basically they called me because I was the last, pretty much the last person that they knew that kind of knew the system um, that could potentially come back. It could be a quick thing as opposed to trying to, you know, well, I don't really know what their rationale is. This is just my rationale and their rationale. <laughs> but it just seems like, you know, if you get somebody that you know and that knows the system and you know that will do a good job, why not bring them back? And so they called me, and I had the conversation with them. You know, you got to talk business and stuff like that. And then I didn't hear anything else from them. And I'm like, well, it's COVID, so why would I expect to get an offer during COVID? You know, people are losing jobs right now. And so um, I didn't think anything of it. I was just going on about my business. And the truth of the matter was, and I'll just be completely honest, I wasn't hard off for a job. You know, I had a job. We were still getting paid. They didn't furlough us, at, you know, at, at state. And so I was like, you know, if it comes through, that's great. That'll be a great opportunity. But if it doesn't come through, I'm not, I mean, I would probably be disappointed, maybe a little bit, but, you know, financially, personally, I'll be okay. And so not, not long after I said that, you know, it kind of came through, and they called me and said, hey, when can you start? And I was like, wow, that was in June of 2020. <laughs> I was like, you want oh, me to wow. come now? Like, I'm, they're like, yeah, can you start on the first? And I'm like, well, no, I have to move my stuff. <laughs> and so they told my uh my uh start they were supposed to be July first. I had to push that back because what we're in COVID and who ends up getting COVID. Um, so I ended up getting COVID. Um, it pushed it back a little bit, but not too much. And so I was able to you know make that transition um, from an assistant, always being an assistant all these years, gathering you know tools and skills and leadership skills and. Um, communication skills and all of that stuff and really um, developing my critical thinking and things of that nature, me being an assistant all these years really prepared me um, for this transition, although a shaky one during the whole pandemic, um, from an assistant athletic trainer to um, a director of sports medicine. Okay. All right. So you, you covered, talked about two, a couple things that it touched okay. my interest or piqued, piqued my interest. First, David okay. Mills, tremendous yes. guy. If you were, if you had any tutelage from David Mills, I know you must be awesome. He yes. was actually at <laughs> NC State when I was there. Took care of me. Yeah. So I know yeah. how hard he pushes athletes. Yet he's sincere about his care. So, Absolutely. wow, that's that's great. That is great. But the second thing, and and more importantly. So you mentioned you're an HBCU grad, so went to NC Central. Mm -hmm. You earned your master's from California University of PA. But how yeah. did the HBCU prepare you for life in your career? Oh, man, I could talk about this all day, Chris. I'll be perfectly honest. Number one, just from general education, like just being a student at an HBCU, it, prepare you, it prepares you for, for life um, because – my first year at, at North Carolina Central and from my other friends that have graduated from other HBCUs, you just learn, like, you learn patience, you learn the conflict resolution, like, from standing in long lines at financial aid, long lines at the cab, I mean, just anything, talking to, I mean, you do learn communication skills, 
um, because you have to go communicate with that professor so that you can at least maybe get a C or possibly a B. You know you're not going to get an A, but maybe I can go <laughs> talk to Dr. So-and-so and we can work something. Maybe I can do an extra assignment or something, right? So um, just as a general student, is it, 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 it shapes you, um, like I said, with patients and all that type of stuff. And then just the culture in general. Like, we have what you call um, 1040 break on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and that was a time where no classes were going on from 10 th 1040 until I think it was 1135 or 1125, something like that. And so during that time, they would allot, like, the DJ would be outside, you know, it would be fraternities and sororities, it would be food, it would just be this big cookout. And so that's not anything that I'm, you know, really unfamiliar with. You know, my grandparents, family, we have cookouts all the time. So it really cultivated a sense of family um, for us as students. And that's something that I look for um, in just in relationships in general, whether it's personal relationships, like with friends. My friends are like my family. At work, my, my work, you know, colleagues, they're like, like we're like many families. That's what I look for, camaraderie. Um, and things of that nature, not to be personal with people so much that they that you can't work together, but to know and show that, hey, I have your best interests at heart. And I think here at St. Augustine University and anywhere that I've ever been, um, I believe, I could be wrong, but I believe that most people that come in contact with me, that will be their, um, their testimony about me is that, you know, I don't really know sometimes what Mijan may be thinking, um, but I know her motive, and I know that she has our best interest at heart. Every decision that she makes is not personal. It has nothing to do with how she feels about me, um, but it has everything to do with what, what's the best decision for the group and for the individual um, student athlete. And so I really feel like, you know, those experiences at an HBCU um, help cultivate those type of, um, I guess, those values within myself. Now, that's as a as a general, you know, as a general student body, what we experience. Now, in an athletic training education program at HBCU, that shaped me to be who I am. Like, I, I had that coming out of college. Like, once I got out of college and got certified, I already knew, like, how to make things work. And I say that because at many HBCUs, a lot, a lot of times at private HBCUs, there's always the issue of resources. And so mm -hmm. while at North Carolina Central, we have many resources, um, which was probably funded by grants and things of that nature, and that's great. But at the same time, the, just, because you that, just because you have resources doesn't mean that you should use all of them up. You've got you know, you to ration them out because you never know what's going to happen. And so we would do things like um, we would have tape, but it's like, okay, this is the amount of tape. that This is y'all practice tape. Once you all run out of practice tape, you're not going to get any more practice tape for a little while because, you know, you have to, you have to make sure that you have resources to, at that time, I think we might have had like 15 sports or something like that. So from that end, and then it teaches you a sense of ingenuity. Like we had, we created so many things um, as student athletes. Like I, and one thing I always pride myself on is, you know, we're in the athletic training room days and days and hours and hours upon end. Like that becomes almost your second home. And so one day I had brought my lunch to, to, to class and I was in the athletic training room and I forgot to bring like uh, utensils. And so I had to find something in the athletic training room to put together to make Something so I can eat my food. It's like little things like that. It teaches you how to be. It teaches you how to be resourceful. Like I remember clear as day, um, one of my uh, mentors had made like some. I think it was gumbo or jambalaya. I can't remember which one. But I was like, I don't have a fork. She was like, Oh, we well, got to figure it out. And so I took like three tongue depressors and shaped them into like a until like a fork or like a spoon, and I was eating it like that. I, was, and I probably wouldn't do that now with all these COVID protocols and stuff like that, but that was, you know, almost 10 years ago. And so she walked in and was like, did you just make a spoon? I was like, you said make it work. So that was our team. Like, <laughs> you, got, you got to make it work. Like, we made um, stretch bands out of um, – out of scrap tape, like, you know, we didn't, we didn't have always the money to, uh, well, not even necessarily always the money, but sometimes you have a stretch band, but maybe somebody else, maybe two people need a stretch band at the same time. 
So your proactiveness as a student is like, hey, well, I can make another stretch band out of some scrap tape. That's unlimited. You know what I'm saying? So that from that perspective of um, being in an HBCU athletic training education program, um, it really taught some resourcefulness, some ingenuity, critical thinking, like, you know, you just have to you just have to make it work. Like you may have your kit with you, but the thing in your kit that you need, maybe somebody took it out and you didn't know. So now you have to figure out another way to satisfy a need because just because you don't have what you normally use doesn't mean that that student athlete's need goes away. The need is still there. Um, so you have to, you know, I appreciate my athletic training education program for, I mean, I don't know if that was intentional for them to teach us that, but it taught us that nonetheless. You know, we had to be resourceful. And so, I, you know, if, I, if it hadn't been for that, I, like, I meet other athletic, training, um, athletic trainers that maybe didn't go to an HBCU or maybe that went to an HBCU with a little bit more funding. And I see, I've seen them on a number of occasions, like, not have what they need, and they're stuck. And they're like, well, I don't know what to do because I don't have X, Y, Z. And to me, you know, now if I, if I were to come across that as a, as a director of sports medicine with somebody who's, you know, on my staff or somebody who, you know, I see as like a little brother or a little sister, I would let them know, like, you know, it doesn't matter if you don't have what you want, but you can figure out how to, you know, take care of that need um, because at the end of the day, like I just said, that need doesn't go away. You have to, you have to satisfy it because they, they're there to do a job. They're there to play their sport. And um, it's, if you can do something to help them play their sport, make it happen. Use your resources and do it. Otherwise, you're having somebody sit out because they're bleeding, but you don't have a Band-Aid, but there's something that you can do to stop that bleeding. So little things like that, the resourcefulness, the camaraderie, all of that from being at an HBCU, I appreciate, excuse me, I appreciate and um, I think it's been very, very instrumental in, in me as a professional overall. Oh, okay, okay. So, with all that being said, so why is it so important for you to give back to an HBCU like St. Augustine's University? Uh, I just I believe in community um, regardless um, and giving back um, as far as as far as St. Augustine's University. Um, I think of I think of them just as I would think of my own alma mater. Um, especially in being here twice now, um, you know kind of what, what the situation is. You kind of know um, what the, especially from a student-athlete perspective, you know what they need. And so anytime that I'm able to give back to, to the university, I take that opportunity. Anytime I'm able to kind of get involved in the community service effort, especially our individual teams, they do individual community service in general. Um, I think it's important because not only for me it satisfies my want, you know, to give back, but it shows and gives an example to our student athletes um, of the need to give back. And I give back to their university. I give back to mine. Um, but I try to be instrumental in, in giving back to theirs and showing, showing them, showing myself, giving back to their university because I want them when they graduate to give back to their university. You know, I give back to, to North Carolina Central University. I try to be instrumental um, in the things that they do from an alumni, you know, standpoint. Um, but, you know, here in years past, I've not, seen, I've not seen that want to or that need to from certain conversations that I may have heard from previous alumni and things of that nature. And everybody has their reasons. Um, but I think by me giving back in in every way that I see possible, it gives them that example of like, well, shoot, me, I'm giving back, and she just, she didn't even graduate from here. And, you know, it strikes up conversations about community, about, you know, community service, about giving back, about, you know, just being instrumental. And sometimes giving back doesn't always mean money. I, I have that conversation all the time um, with my student mm -hmm. athletes. When I was here, when I was at other places, you know, sometimes it's not about, you know, they ask for money. Sometimes you're not in a position to give, but if you can be visible, sometimes that goes way farther um, in showing your support of your university than your money um, can. And then when you are able to, you know, give back in that regard, you're able to do it, and you're able to do both. You're able to show your support physically and monetarily. Um, but it, it, it's all it's all important, and that's why I just try to show them is that. Um, I'm giving back to your to you guys' university. You should too. Like I said, I like to facilitate those conversations 
um, because you don't know why people don't give back until you, you have those conversations. And then just within those, you know, the talking within that, it really just kind of, it can either, maybe some of them may heed what you say and say, you know what, I'm going to try that. Some of them may say, you know, uh, I'll think about it and probably don't think about it anymore. But at least the conversation was had. So, yeah, I believe your community giving back to the university, definitely important because especially if you want the university to remain, it's only, it's, it's only, it's up to, I tell people all the time, you know, it's up to us. As far as our athletic department, it's up to us what we make of it. So as alumni and as community service and giving back, um, it's only going to be what we give to it. So I think it's very important. And I think in being here a second time, I think it's a little bit better. I see it from my, you know, I have a different perspective because I've been here twice. So I think it's a little bit better the, the outlook and the thoughts and perspective on giving back are a little bit different in a good way. Um, so that's encouraging. But, yeah, absolutely, giving back all the time, very important. Okay. All right. Now I want to talk a little bit about your responsibilities as director of sports medicine and the head trainer. So during the height of the seasons, what mm-hmm. is your typical – what's a typical day for you? What time do you get in and what time do you leave? Well, I would say – okay, so I really haven't had the opportunity – to see what that will be. And I say that because we didn't play this year. Um, the only thing okay. that we had was kind of um, like practices and things and things like that. So I don't have that full spectrum, but I can tell you what I think. <laughs> so with okay. COVID, I can tell you that a day in the life, um, let's, let's take the spring semester because that's when most of our teams were able to kind of work out. A day in the life would be, me getting here around 9 a.m. And, and leaving around the latest I've left is around 7. Um, and there's a plethora of things that go on within the day. I try to take the mornings because, you know, with classes, there's not too many kids that are going to come, come in for treatment and things of that nature. So I try to take the mornings, and this was the same pre-COVID, you know, I try to take the mornings to kind of, you know, um, do paperwork, you know, file insurance, uh, work on insurance claims. If, if the um, insurance is asking for, like, an EOB or more information to process the claim, I try to get that sent off. Um, depending on the day, um, I might be doing updating COVID to see, you know, who did their COVID test at the last testing event. And if they didn't, having to notify them and their coaches that they are no longer allowed to participate because they missed COVID testing, um, checking, doing our sportswear check-ins. We utilize sportswear to monitor the symptoms of our student athletes. Um, so mm-hmm. they have to have those in by 9 a.m. every day. If they don't have it in it by 9 a.m., they cannot practice, you know, if, ands, or buts about it. So, um checking that, making sure everybody's good. And then the other side is not even just checking it, but if somebody is flagged for having a symptom, you know, following up with them to say, hey, is this like, what kind, tell me more information about, you know, your stopped up nose. Tell me more information about this cough. How long have you had the cough? Tell me a little more information about this fever, you know. <laughs> so trying to make sure before we set off the alarms for COVID that we have more information. So that's normally what what occurs in the in the morning in the morning time more administrative duties, um, okay. and then in the afternoon around one, um, depending on you know who has signed up for you know an appointment. We're only doing by appointment right now, um, as far as um, you know treatment and you know stem and eyes. I hurt my disc. Can you look at this? You have to make an appointment, and you have to have you know up to date COVID test and having and have done your um your sportswear check-in for the day so the afternoons are really geared towards that and then um of course in the afternoons practices are going on um and conditioning and things of that nature so that's what we kind of dealt with this semester because we didn't um really play now i foresee in the fall um i'll just use the fall as an example with football volleyball and um and cross country so the day will look like 5.30 a.m. with football and volleyball starting around 6, and then um, probably my assistant um, or myself, probably my assistant, will have to um, 
do a split shift, go home, get some rest, and come back for afternoon treatments because our cross-country team um, goes in the afternoon. And so pretty much the morning time, like I said, at the practice, it would be some treatments if needed, and then on to do the administrative duties um, for the rest of the morning and the afternoon for treatment. Again, but more people will probably be um, come, more, more kids come in the afternoon than in the morning. They don't like to get up or they have class. So I don't, I don't look for too many in the morning, <laughs> but more, most of them really try to come in the afternoon. So for me, being here at 530, I would try to get be, be off campus around 3 o'clock um, and allow my assistants to um, take care of the afternoon sports in that manner. Um, but sometimes even with coming in at 530, um, you know, you're supposed to be off at 3, but sometimes something, you know, keeps you here. Um, so I could, it could be three, could be four, could be five. You know, I kind of, I kind of don't put in my head a a solid end time. Um, I try to be reasonable um, in making sure that you know I get proper. Like I'm not working 12 hour days, not being burnt out. Um, but if okay. it's a matter of making sure that you know our student athlete, making sure a student athlete has what they need, I'll stay 10 or 15 minutes. Um, past three o'clock, I'm not the person that's oh, it's three o'clock. I can't help you. Yeah, all right. <laughs> so now some days I want to, like I said, it's a case by case basis. Like you're telling me that you stubbed your toe, then okay, it's three o'clock. I can't help you. Go see one of my assistants. You know what I mean? So it's a case by case basis. But I foresee with us potential. Well, right now they're saying we're gonna play. Um, and so with okay. that being said, I foresee it being very, very, very busy. Um, the, a day in the life that was two years ago and the day in the life that I'm about to experience in, in, in August, is I know it's going to be totally different. Um, I'm definitely up for the challenge. Um, trying to put, we're trying to put some things in into perspective and in place, knowing that it's going to be different um, beforehand so that it's not too much, um, but it's going to be different. And like I said, we're up for the challenge, but I know it's gonna be it's gonna be some long days, but we're we're gonna we're not foreign to that either. So that's the other side. I'm not foreign to long days, um, but it's right. it's gonna be a kicker. I can tell you. <laughs> All right. Well, how how large is your staff? Well, right now we are only it's only there's only myself and one assistant. Um, but right now we're okay. also put in some some requests for um, more help. We've done some some uh, I guess you could say some review program reviews. Um, based on how many student athletes that we have, how many um, how many games, how long each sports season, how many sports we have, um, all of that comes together to kind of give us the idea of how many athletic trainers we would need. And so on paper, mm-hmm. I need about four and a half. <laughs> okay. But um, we put in for some, you know, trying to you understand, you know understand the resources and budgets and things of that nature. Um, you know, I get if you can't do it all at once. And so my mindset is that, you know, we can do it progressively, though. We can add on little by little. And so we're in the process of requesting some things and seeing if, if those types of things will get pushed through. Um, I think because of COVID, um, it puts us in a good position to hear yeses where we've heard no in the past. And so I'm excited about that. Not excited about COVID, but just excited of the but, implications right. and how right. it and how it helps my department. Um, okay. So, yeah, right now we're just at two trying to grow, trying to grow a little bit. And um, if I could get if I could get four, four full-time, four would be the most that this university has seen. Um, there were three um, in, the, in the past past, um, but because of budget cuts, um, they, they did take away one, and then it was never added back. So we're in the process of trying to get those things, you know, reallocated and um, and in position because we have 13 sports on paper um, and at most 300, 300 student athletes, and so oh, that's wow. basically a ratio to of one to 150 or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a lot. <laughs> that is a lot. So, that is a lot. <laughs> that's like All me right. standing in the in the Red Sea, honestly. You know what I mean? So. Um, especially as short as I am, I'm only five two. So you know, I'm just I'm engulfed with them. If you put me in the in the in the gym with 150 student athletes and say, "Hey, take care of all their needs," so 
Um, but yeah, we're growing. We're growing, and uh, my administration understands that. They've heard my concerns, and I appreciate them. Um, they've heard my concerns, and um, they're listening. And I'm just, you know, patiently waiting. I'm patient about it, and I just believe it's going to all work itself out in that regard. Okay. Well, that was kind of a setup question for you, and you answered okay. it brilliantly, of course. But as the head of the St. Augustine Sports Medicine Department and head athletic trainer, how important is it for you and for to let people know that the support that they give to St. Augustine's University, their donations can specifically help your department? How how important is that for you to be able to spread a message? Oh man, how can uh, first of all the support? Number one, support in general for the whole department is much needed and much obliged. <laughs> but as far as it pertains to my um, department, the support, whether um, whether donations, whether monetary, financially, um, every little bit counts. And that's what I like to tell um, tell everyone. My main thing that I came in. Um, to this position and this role that I tell, well, I told my administration first and I tell anybody that has asked me hereafter, I understand that we're a Division II university, um, but I believe that just because we're a Division II university does not mean that these student athletes can't have a D1 experience. Um, Division I um, athletic programs have more funding, they have more this, they have more that. Um, but when you talk about donations and you talk about funding and and helping out and support, those types of things help us to give these student athletes more of that D1 experience. You know, based upon my budget and the things that my, my administration approves me to do, um, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to give those things, you know. But if, if I have donations coming in, if I have support coming in to further that, it just makes it, it, makes it all the better, um, in my opinion. Um, so if, if, there, if you ever have a situation where, you know, you might – and everything – like I think I said it a little earlier, every little bit counts. Um, no, no donation is too small. No donation is too obsolete. No donation is, you know, too minuscule. It won't be looked upon. It will be received wholeheartedly and thankfully, you know what I mean? And so um, just from that standpoint, um, when you're thinking about donating to sports medicine specifically, and I have to – I just, I'm not the type of person, I just can't be selfish. When you're thinking about donating to the athletic department and even the university as a whole, um, just keep that in mind, like the experience that um, you are potentially facilitating by giving a donation, whether it's equipment, whether it's, you know, monetary, you know, things of that nature. Every little bit that one person gives, it not only um, assists in the support and um, the facilitation of the experience of the overall student body, more specifically the student athletes, more specifically the student athletes that come in for treatment and rehabilitation, your donation helps me to give them above and beyond the best care that I'm already trying to give them. Because I'm, I, and, you know, I don't like to toot my own horn, uh, but I give the best care. Anybody that knows me knows I'm going to say that. I give the best care. Um, with the you know with as little bit of equipment that I have and I have a I have a lot a nice amount of equipment um, so I give the best care um, so every every supportive donation thereafter just helps me go above and beyond and so I just like and I like for people that donate and think about donating to see um, what they are donating or what their donation how it's affecting um, where they've donated it to so if you're donating to um, Saint Augustine Sports Medicine just know that your donation, you'll see that every Saturday. You'll see that every Thursday or Friday night at the basketball game, at the football game. Every time somebody swings a bat, every, every time somebody steals a base, every time somebody scores a touchdown, that is an open representation of what your donation has facilitated. And so that's what I would say um, to those who are thinking of and, um, you know, possibly, you know, in the process of donating to our school, our department, more specifically my department, um, is that that's what you'll see. Because, I mean, for me, when I donate, I want to know that it's going back towards – I want to see the results of my donation. Um, so as it pertains to sports medicine, just know when you donate, when you support, um, you'll see it every time there's a game, you'll see the product of what, you, of what you've contributed. Oh, that's, that is awesome. That is awesome. 
All right. I'll, I'll end it with this. Shameless plug time. So brag again on yourself and then plug any social media. And you know what? Ask for a donation for anything you might need for the upcoming season. This is your chance to take advantage of that. Okay, well, I'll start with the donations. So for the upcoming season, um, we're, there, there are many, many. Um, I was actually just having a conversation with my um, athletic director, um, I think it was yesterday. And so we have a lot of things that we do have. The thing that we are lacking in um, in looking at our inventory and things of that nature is the area of rehabilitation um, equipment, the things that we use, you know, exercise equipment um, to utilize to, um, you know, take – we have enough to get them to, to get our student athletes to the point where, you know, they're ready to get back on the field and do work, but we don't have the, all of the sports-specific equipment that we would like, the cones, the, the plyometric boxes and things of that nature. Um, mm. So if you're out there and you're thinking of donating specifically to my department, the Department of Sports Medicine at St. Augustine University, um, we take monetary donations. If you want to be more specific and go out and, um, and you know, purchase it and bring it to us or whatever the case may be, um, my email address is mnight at staug.edu. No, st-aug.edu. Got to be specific because, you know. <laughs> so um, that's the area of need, um, the biggest area of need right now. You know, things like first, first aid response, you know, we have that. We're going to have that. Um, that's that goes without saying because on game day if you don't have that you're you're really in violation so we have those things um, but yeah we would we could really use those type of things as far as you know exercise balls medicine balls um, just those things that you use when you get to that full on rehab process you're almost to where you need to be to be fully cleared to play but you need those mm-hmm. sports specific um, uh, products and items to get them exactly where they need to be. Um, as far as social media, um, I can be followed personally on Instagram or Facebook. My Facebook is Mijan R, middle initial R, Knight, K-N-I-G-H-T. On Instagram, my plug or username is, what is it, Mijan Lop Knight. So it's Mijan, M-I-J-O-N-L-O-C-K-N-I-G-H-T. And that's a little plug because I used to have locks, but I combed them out during the pandemic. So I probably need to change my username because I no longer have locks anymore. Um, and then as far as um, St. Augustine, we also have my, – my um, department also has a, um, an Instagram, and that Instagram is SAU Falcon Sports Med. You can follow us there. We will and always – have followed individuals back, you know, because sometimes you follow people, especially celebrities, and this is a celebrity page, just to let you all know, um, but you follow celebrities and they never follow you back. So we try to be very intentional about following, um, following back those individuals that follow us. Um, but overall, for me, my little shameless plug at the end, again, my name is Mijan Knight. I am the Director of Sports Medicine, as you all know at St. Augustine's University in Raleigh, North Carolina. It is here where we try to provide a D1 experience, even though we are on the Division II NCAA level. Um, we ask that you would keep in touch with us, reach out to us. Um, we are taking applications for student athletic trainers, anybody who's interested in um, trying to further their education and becoming an athletic trainer. Um, I am the person that you can talk to about that. Uh, I have many, many. I was telling somebody the other day, I, I didn't realize I had so many um, networking connections with other athletic trainers. So if maybe you're not in my area, but you're in an area where I may know somebody, reach out, let me know. Let's talk about it. Talk about the field, um, things of that nature. One other plug, I know I said earlier um, that, I do have my master's in rehabilitation science, but I'm also pursuing my doctorate in education for health professions. Um, So I do solicit your prayers and good vibes as I try to complete um, that part of my journey um, in an effort to, um, basically in an effort to try to make sure that the future athletic trainers of this world and society 
um, have all the tools that they need so that when they come out of school, they don't struggle as much as I did. I know that's really my, my, my mantra is that if I can help somebody not struggle as much as I did, I've done my due diligence. And so um, you guys, just keep me in your thoughts and prayers for the next year and a half as I finish that up. I would greatly, greatly appreciate it. <laughs> Okay. All right. Well, Mejia Knight, what a great story. This has been very revealing and, honestly, great information. So good luck keeping those student-athletes healthy, and you are just another example of how the Falcons are soaring high. Thank so, you so thank much, Chris. For... I really appreciate the opportunity. I, I thank you, and I thank you again for taking the time and coming on the Chris Williams Podcast Hour and being a part of this special podcast series highlighting the success at St. Augustine's University. Mijan Knight, thank you very much, and hopefully we'll talk again soon. Sounds good.